Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Amy. Our project is called Mind, Body, and Soul, The Nature of Well-Being, and this podcast is just one small piece of the overall project. We are making a documentary that follows our hike on the Continental Divide Trail that will explore how spending time in nature affects a person's mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. We are guinea pigs in a sense because we will be documenting our own experiences and recording changes that we find. Along the way, we are interviewing people about their experiences in nature to see how they have been affected. Much of the benefits that come from being in nature are subjective, and therefore hard to measure in a quantifiable way. That's why we have turned to recording stories as a way to distribute this knowledge. Since the beginning of human culture, we have compressed valuable information into stories, and that's how we have shared wisdom throughout the generations. We hope that the stories we gathered during this project will help spread some of the wisdom that can be found in the wilderness. Episode 3, an interview with Annie Nelson about her hike on the North Country Trail. The wilderness had already helped Annie Nelson overcome issues with substance abuse and depression. After that, she was drawn to the wilderness more and more, which eventually led to her plan to hike half of the North Country Trail. The NCT is the longest national scenic trail in the country at 4,600 miles long. She had never taken on anything even remotely this long before, but she knew it was necessary for her well-being to try. She filmed her journey, and her videos can be found on her YouTube channel called Wild Stories. My name is Annie Nelson. Uh, where are we right now? Well, it's uh, Dakota Lands originally, the seven council fires, and now known as Afton State Park, and we're in the St. Croix River Valley in eastern Minnesota. This is where you live? Close by, yeah, I, I live in the Twin Cities in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, so we're about half an hour east of there. Uh, so what do you do for a living now? Uh, right now I work in um, social services and public assistance for a county, so I help people um, one of the amazing things I got to do in 2020 was distribute uh, $360,000 to people who were at risk of eviction or utility disconnection because of COVID-19. So I helped people who had almost died from COVID, month in the hospital on a ventilator, you know, come home, not able to work because their lungs are so damaged and make sure those folks didn't end up homeless. So that's what I do right now. That's cool. That sounds like really fulfilling work. It was. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm training it on a new position there. So. Um, how did you like discover your interest in nature? Was it like a lifelong thing or was it kind of later in life? I got to it later in life. I, you know, for me, when I was growing up as a kid, the outdoors were recreation. It was something that um, we did on vacation. So I think probably my first um, really potent memory as a kid was our uh, week-long camping trip on the North Shore in Minnesota. That was like the trip I learned how to build a fire and, you know, climbed up a rock cliff um, that felt huge. And when I went back as an adult, I realized it was about 10 feet tall. <laughs> um, so, and then I was, uh, when I guess when I was about 28, 29, something like that, my cousins took me into the Boundary Waters on a canoe trip for my the first time I'd never been. And it was like a revelation. It was an amazing experience. And um, I completely fed, fell head over heels in love and uh, 
and then a lot of my friends in the cities weren't into camping so I started just going on solo trips and that led me into backpacking and then I've basically spent the last five years of my life doing crazier and crazier things. <laughs> so you think that Boundary Waters trip was kind of like the catalyst? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So what, are, what do you think the benefits of spending time in nature are? The benefits of, of spending time in nature range from the smallest pleasures to um, I would say basically like spiritual awakenings for myself anyway. Um, you know, anything from just the joy of finding a bunch of blueberries somewhere and uh, how good they are to um, feeling like, I, honestly, I felt like before I got into the kind of long term, long distance outdoor stuff I've been doing, I was completely unaware of about half of my body and also just mind and soul. Like there's something that woke up in me when I started doing those trips, um, this ancient knowledge that I'd been totally disconnected from in the way that I'd grown up and the way I was living my life, um, which was an indoor life. Um, and that ancient knowledge, it just grant, gifted me this like profound connection to where we live in this planet and a whole new understanding of why we are the way we are and why our bodies work the way they work. And yeah. You touched on a whole bunch of things there that I wanted to go deeper into. Yeah. Um, why do blueberries taste better in nature? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's their natural habitat. It's almost like that's the thing. That's the thing you kind of learn is is that when you and things are growing and spending time where they have spent, you know, eons evolving, there seems to be a kind of magic there. And so the blueberries that you find that are growing in the burns in the full sunshine and Minnesota summer, they just they're better than what you buy at the store they're so much better so you said that you kind of like what did you say you got a uh you discovered more of your body out there mm -hmm. or how it works uh, can you like talk about that some more well the first thing that blows your mind i think when you start doing um outdoor trips that involve more than packing up your car and driving somewhere is that my what I discovered is that my body is capable way more than I understood you know I mean before I started doing these trips the idea of walking three miles to a store was ridiculous you know and to the point where I didn't even I didn't even consider it something that I could do despite being an athlete despite being outdoors all the time when I was a kid it just like what the idea that I could walk 23 miles in a day with 30 pounds of gear on my back and do that over and over and over for five months um you know that's what wakes up you realize like oh this is this is why I walk on two feet because you know this is how I use this is how we used to make a living I'm absolutely built to do this day after day um <clears throat> So, yeah, so it's just like, you, I, I just was, I was just completely blown away. 
by what my body could do. Um, and it's completely changed everything for me of everything I understand about myself and what I'm capable of and what life can offer me and the kind of adventures I can have. It's pretty, pretty revolutionary. So what would you say your relationship with your body was before, let's say doing the NCT and after mm -hmm. that change? <laughs> oh gosh, my relationship with my body was heavily influenced by um, American culture in the sense that I thought of my body more in the terms of how it looks. I don't know if this is a body thing. I guess it kind of is, but you know, how I looked and how I felt mentally, like those were my obsessions. And um, since doing these long trips, um, I just love my body with a ferocity that I did not have before. I kind of hated my body before. Um, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a thick girl and you know i had a lot of shame about that from a very young age and now i just love it i, I mean I, because what i know is that that is my strength and my power my athleticism that's where that lives so i just can't <laughs> I'm, I'm never gonna hate my super strong legs like ever again they've carried me 2,000 miles um i don't care that I carry a little bit of extra weight on my belly. Now that is just like, those are, that's like my survival belly. <laughs> I've got like 500 miles of ultralight calories right there, you know? <laughs> so, um, and uh, another thing that I noticed is that like my, metal, my mental fortitude is pretty insane now. I think when I started out, getting really into the outdoors i had this expectation that i was going to be happy all the time and i learned very quickly that that's not what happens <laughs> that's not what happens it uh but at the same time you're like what is happening is even on days when i was struggling physically or mentally and and kind of miserable i was still like i just felt totally different than how i feel at home because i was using all of my all of my skills you know, you use your mind, your body, um, your uh, smarts, you know, you'd like really have to be thinking out there in a way that you don't have to be thinking every day when you're just going to the grocery store, um, kind of judging like, you know, is the situation survivable <laughs> all the time? Um, and that just kind of elevates the, it heightens your awareness and your presence in the current moment and, and your, uh, awareness of your surroundings in, in this way that's intoxicating like even when you're kind of struggling a little bit so um so now i just think that like um it's not that i haven't had like days in this pandemic when things have been hard but i do feel like i have coped with it pretty well and i feel like uh that's what these these the outdoor has gifted me is kind of this this toughness yeah I like that word mental fortitude it's like I've kind of learned to just be okay with suffering <laughs> yeah like it's I, I stopped expecting it to like I stopped living with the delusion that suffering isn't a part of life a natural part of life right and it's not that i want to suffer and i actively I'll, i'm not gonna lie i actively do everything i can to avoid suffering still <laughs> but when i can't avoid it 
and it's just happening. I feel like there's just a part of me that's a little bit better prepared for that now. Yeah. Yeah, like I used to think there was something wrong with me if I was suffering. Yeah. If I was in a bad mood or something. Now I just kind of accept that it's just kind of a part of the process. It's just, it's just part of life. <laughs> and it's not necessarily even a bad part. It's just like, it's just what's happening right now. And it is going to change. It's going to get better. And, uh, <laughs> you know, all you can do is just keep moving. Right? That's a pretty powerful lesson. And I wish I could say that, like, I'm... I've carried all of these woods lessons out into life perfectly. No, I still catch myself all the time, like fretting about this is my life now. Like this, what is gonna happen? Or if something that I want to be happening isn't happening, sometimes I'll still spin out about it, but I just don't do it as long as I used to. It's like, it's like I, my, the woods has kind of programmed this stop measure in my head where it's just like, hey, quit being silly. Just go outside and look at a bird or something, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. They're really funny. Just go watch them for a while. Would you say that there's something in nature that you can't find in your like regular life? I mean, I don't. I don't want to say it's all or nothing because I feel like, um, <laughs> honestly, I feel like sometimes what the wood does is just help me get myself out of my own way. It's like because I don't have the constant distractions offered by modern life of my smartphone and my computer and, you know, calling my friends and watching TV or, you know, listening to podcasts or reading book or something like that. Like it, I feel like in, in when I'm in the city, even when I kind of don't want to be, it's like really hard for me to stay stop this energy where I'm just like, oh, I'm just like moving. You just gotta go, 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 go. Like that's the vibe of modern living, right? You just, you gotta be, da, 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 da. and in the woods, there's just, you don't, I don't have that option. I'm just out there. And so it forces me to just relax. And so what I can find in the woods really easily is basically peace and serenity, like total peace and serenity. Um, so, and I do think you, I think there are ways that you can find that in regular life for sure, but it's just way harder for me personally. I just am way better at it in the woods than I am in real life. And, um, or as other hikers have called it synthetic life. I like that better than real life versus trail life. But, um, but I do think that the, the thing that I have, I'm still convinced and, and people keep trying to like disagree with me on this and I finally just had to like give myself permission this year to be like you know what I'm sorry but I have had this experience and you have not which is living in the woods for months at a time and how that makes me feel and how connected to life and you know every creature on this planet from the trees to the earthworms to the weather, I mean, weather's not a creature, but you know what I mean? Like just everything that occupies this planet, not just humans. I just feel this level of connection with it that there's like too much noise in at least the city where I live. There's just, I just can't feel the same kind of connection with the world around me. It's just too, I don't know. I feel like there's a wall between me and that, what I feel in the woods. 
Absolutely. <laughs> That's actually a kind of a big focus of this project is to try and break down that wall for people and or at least help them figure out how to um, get out there and make those connections with the natural world and, and understand that yeah, this like these cities and the civilized life that we've made has disconnected us from that. Uh, yeah, and just kind of help us see that we're all a part of the system and we're not like outside of it. Because that's what it does with all the noise in the cities and stuff. It makes us feel like we're separate from the natural system. Yeah, and, and all kinds of side effects. And it's only with. It's only, uh, and because because of the time I've spent out there, I've started to understand more and more what a huge loss that is. Like, yes, there are positives to living in really dense societies. Um, you know, there's no way, there's no getting around the fact that like, where I live right now, there are 10 hospitals. If I have a major health event, like a fatal level health event, my chances of surviving that are much greater at my house in the city, right? than in the Trap Hills in the upper you know, peninsula of Michigan. Um, but I almost feel like there's this belief that's grown up. You know, it's like, to me, I see it's a natural, cities are a natural evolution of humans continuously trying to improve that, sort of, that safety level in our lives. You know, we live in these houses that are much better at standing up to crazy storms than you are when you're just like camped out in a tent in the woods, for sure. That's a huge improvement, you know, but then there seems to then alongside that has grown up this belief that anything that isn't like modern living is super dangerous and unsafe. And what you said, that separation, like it's like we're not part of the natural system anymore. We've removed ourselves from it. And that's just not true, first of all, but um, but I also think that removal, we've, we've lost something super important, which is a love affair with where we live and how it just is on its own, not how we've shaped it to be. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the positive aspects of civilization too, because <laughs> I don't want to make it seem like it's all bad and that we need to go live in the woods. Like, <laughs> definitely want to find a way to kind of merge these two things back together. Yeah, and I think just spending, I think, I think honestly the best way to do it is to have one experience in your life where you just go out in nature and release that control, put yourself at the mercy of nature and figure out how to live inside of the rules of nature instead of outside of the rules of nature. And what you find in there is, um, I mean, what I tell like kids when I'm talking to kids about backpacking, it's it's magical, man. It's like the closest thing I've ha I've <laughs> experienced in my life I've had to going to Hogwarts. I'm not even gonna lie, like that's what it feels like. You're just like, whoa, this is magic. So, and it gets more magical the more time you spend in it. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Because I feel like the more time I spend in society and understand civilization and stuff the less mystery there is but it, it works the opposite way with nature <laughs> yeah it gets more mysterious the more uh, time you spend yeah yeah oh wow okay that's that's good to hear because yeah 
I don't ever want that to stop. <laughs> I don't ever want that to stop. And it just calls to you after you've experienced it. It just calls to you all the time. And I think that it's like, and then what I'm saying is if you can give yourself one long experience where you get out and you really feel what Alex and I are talking about, then it makes reconnecting to it later much easier. Um, because you know how to, like, it's almost like your soul gets tuned into this frequency. Wow, I sound like a real hippie now. <laughs> I am, let's not lie. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, you just, yeah, so that was, so it's like that balance, right? Like, I can't go and hike all the time as much as I would want to. And uh, I seriously considered, like, playing the lottery, which I never do because you don't win. But, you know, part of me was like, hey, you know, hey. It, it, but if I did, then I then I could hike all the time, you know. Um, but yeah. So I guess speaking of sounding like a hippie, <laughs> do you consider yourself a spiritual person, or like how do you think about that kind of stuff? Are you religious? Uh, I was raised by lapsed Catholics, um, and we we were kind of raised with like the permission to go out and we were not raised within a church but we were like you know if at some point you want to do that you can um so i've yeah I, I think i'm definitely spiritual and i finally have like just started to own in my own mind the fact that as an outdoor person specifically i am a spiritual that is the reason the fundamental reason why i go out and do this is because it's a spiritual experience for me um so, so yeah, I think that that's something that, especially over the last like eight, nine years has been something I've been kind of mindfully pursuing is a more spiritual, uh, practice, practicing a spirituality. So, and that really kicked off for me because when I was 30, I got sober. I was an alcoholic all of my twenties. Um, and Actually, that trip to the Boundary Waters helped me get sober because it was the first time in like five years that I didn't drink for five days. Um, and it like cleared my head enough for me to like get a taste of what I had been, I had been missing out on for so long. Um, and specifically that connection when I was talking about, like just that, just the sheer, how like the beauty got me higher than any drug or alcohol ever could. Um, and it wasn't like an icky high, like drugs and alcohol, they just have, they just always have such an icky that you can feel them costing you something. Like sure, the pleasure is quick and fast, you know, but it doesn't, it's eating away at you the whole time too. So, and that's not what, nature's never doing that. Like it's, it's this natural high and it's just building you up. The whole time so I was like oof I gotta I, I gotta change something right now um, so yeah so I got so got sober and um, really focused on that for a couple of years and then as part of that I work a program and that's where I really got introduced in, in the to kind of spirituality in the beginning um, and then my kind of exploration of the woods and outdoor activities was growing up alongside of that. So they kind of, they've now woven together in this really beautiful way for me. So I just can't, uh, when I talk about like feeling a connection when I'm out 
in the woods. It's, um, yeah, it's absolutely spiritual. I, that's, I, I talk to God in the woods for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what does that mean to you? Like, what is the human spirit? How do you visualize that? Um, I, I've given up needing to know or have a definition. It's more of a feeling for me. Um, and it's definitely like this, it's just this kind of vast golden, like, uh, feeling inside and in the woods too. Like the, the woods, um, it's just, it just feels like it's just coursing through it all the time. Like when you're walking through the woods, <laughs> even when I'm like surrounded by 200 mosquitoes, <laughs> there's still like this just, I just feel this uh, singing, you know? And so I don't, you know, I, I, I just think that we're all kind of, I definitely believe in the interconnectedness of it. I feel like there's something like, I'm really bashful about talking about this stuff because I know it's gonna, I don't, I'm bashful about it because I don't think I do it justice, but like, I'm just gonna, okay, I'll just go ahead and say it. Be vulnerable, right? Um, I can feel the trees now. Like I, um, and I don't know how, it's really hard to describe it until, and, and I don't think that people will necessarily have the same experience as me out there. <laughs> and who knows, maybe it's just, I'm just making it all up in my head. But it's, it just feels really real to me. Like I, I can feel that they have something happening inside of them too. And it's not necessarily what's happening in us, but it's like this, yeah, still that golden, kind of golden force in the world. Like I think of it as life force, like the thing that makes life happen. Um, And that's a, it's a, I think one of the powerful experiences I had recently was, um, you see, you see way more death out in the woods that you do in modern life. That's another thing that's very different. Like death is everywhere. You're constantly finding, you know, winter wolf kills deer of deer. And I remember standing over this skeleton that was totally bleached, um, totally clean. It was just bones and hide left. And it's such a juxtaposition because here like the totally clean bones but then the hide looks like you could pet it. Like it just looks like a live deer, you know, it's barely degraded. Um, and so here's this kind of violent scene. Like you know that this, this deer probably died hard. It's torn apart. Um, and it's, uh, it's jolting for me because I'm not used to seeing death like that. Um, and, at, and at the same time, I'm standing over this carcass and this kind of violent thing the woods is just vibrating around you with life. You know, there are birds and snakes and um, the trees are rustling and you can feel like when you spend that much time in the woods continuously, you really can feel everything growing around you because you see it changing every day. So it's just like, and so all of that is happening at the same time I'm standing over this dead creature and it's like nature telling me um, yep, death happens, violence happens, but life goes on. And that was just like really beautiful for me. So that's the kind of experiences I, I have as this, you know, kind of spiritually, I think out there. And that's why I go out there. 
That's powerful stuff. It's a good way of talking about it or thinking about it too. Does um, having an experience like that, does that change the way that you think about your own life and your own mortality and the way that you think about your own death? I don't know. Because um, <laughs> I think until I'm actually dying, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that anytime anything dies, it's terrifying, you know. But um, I think what it's, I think what it has done is helped me live with like two ideas in my head at the same time, which is like, okay, so I'm really lucky and I'm on this planet and I'm in this body and I'm this person right now. And of course, I'm very invested in that person's existence and what happens to me. But at the same time, it's a really comforting idea that I'm not the center of the universe. <laughs> and that life is going to go on beyond me. It is going on outside of me. And that's one thing that's, yeah, absolutely. I think I was very human-centric before I started out doing outdoor activities. And now I'm just like... I'm, 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 I think that everything that is alive on this planet has an equal right to be here. Um, and we should be very careful and mindful of how we harvest. Everything harvests. Like, that's another natural part of life, right? I mean, animals harvest. Everybody, plants harvest. It just, it's just part of the system. But um, but I think, I, I, you know, for me, I, I, I try to do it in a way that's like, the least amount of impact I can have. I try now. I'm not necessarily that good at it all the time. <laughs> I still use plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Especially backpacking. I haven't figured that out yet. It's part of living in this society. It's really, really hard to not have those impacts. Like you have to be extremely mindful. Yeah. It's to the point where it kind of like disrupts your daily life if you if you don't take part in some of that stuff but one thing that that like an out and like a long-term outdoor experience does though is strip away all of those things that in our culture we're constantly being sold and it creates this idea of like what you need in life that is um it turns out for myself anyway what i've learned is i do not <laughs> I do not need about 90% of what is being sold to me on a daily basis. So, um, so that's kind of the balance I've struck with that is that, um, you know, I don't own a lot of clothing. I own the clothing I use and, um, and I'm very careful before I buy new clothing because I'm just like, do you really need this or do you, or you just think you need it, you know? Um, and I think a lot of people are having that impulse. Now it's not necessarily just woods, but, um, but it's like, basically when I started hiking, I got rid of about 90% of what I owned and I have not missed any of it. None of it. In fact, and it's a huge freedom because, you know, I basically know exactly what I need and it all fits in a backpack. <laughs> like that's my baseline. Anything above that now is just kind of like luxury. And I like, I like luxuries. Don't get me wrong. I mean, everybody does, but I just have a lot less of them than I used to. Yeah, you become comfortable with only what you need. And I found like a lot of what I need comes from within me now instead of outside stuff. Like 
it's kind of what you were talking about. Like we're always being sold these things. Like you need this thing to be happy, mm -hmm. this job to be happy. You need this relationship to be fulfilled or whatever. And I kind of learned to like find all that stuff within myself. And then I didn't need to like uh, chase all of that external stuff as much anymore. Yeah, exactly. And when you find some of that stuff within yourself, then all those external things just start to come to you. <laughs> it's been a really awesome process. I'm so excited. Seeing that happening. Yeah, I'm, th I'm so thrilled to hear that. When I think of like why I want to convince me people to have more nature in their lives, there's kind of two reasons. And the first reason is to heal. Um, if somebody has trauma or any sort of psychological damage or spiritual damage or even physical damage, like nature is a good place to heal. And the second reason is for people who are kind of already doing okay, but maybe they're feeling a little bit lost in life. Like they don't really have a sense of purpose. Their job is kind of meaningless and like they're just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. Bored. Yeah. Yeah. Like nature is like a good place to kind of figure out like who you are and what your purpose is. And um, I guess just like what makes you fulfilled. Um, but going back to the first part about healing, mm -hmm. uh, and you, you said that being in nature was kind of the catalyst for you to get over being an alcoholic. Uh, you wanted, are you comfortable with talking about that a little more? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, do you know what the cause of that was? Like, why did you start drinking so much? Oh, well, I'm definitely of the school that there's, I mean, I, I think that addiction is an illness. I think I had a physical uh I think it's a physical condition in my body that's triggered by using chemicals for me. So um, I just don't respond to them the same way that people without an addictive composition in their body uh, do. So, um, so, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I had some rough experiences when I was a kid and I started using drugs pretty early. Um, and I think that part of that was feeling drawn to um, other kids who were because we kind of were a little bit um, we kind of dealt with stuff more and I don't know so yeah so a lot of people are self-medicating right with substances out there um, so and I was kind of drawn to the kids who were <laughs> probably at that age because we had things in common but uh, um, yeah sorry did I answer your question I feel like I'm starting to ramble no that's good okay um, so that's that's what led you to it um, I think it was it combination. Do? It's like it's being traumatized isn't going to make you an addict, but like you do. I think the, I think it is an illness too. So I just happen to have both of those things going on. So yeah. yeah. So what did the drugs and alcohol do for you? Um, they allowed me to completely control how I felt at all times. So if I had any kind of distress, or I was unhappy, or bored, or I was happy but I wanted to be happier, right? I mean, come on, getting drunk is fun. <laughs> Okay, it's just a good time. And um, unfortunately, when you're an alcoholic or an addict, uh, it stops being a good time and starts being a compulsion. And um, so I lost my train of thought again, sorry. Maybe you could walk me through the process of like from that first Boundary Waters trip to being sober. Like how did that process happen in your mind? I think, I think actually the way that the nature played the biggest role initially in me getting sober 
um, was it revealed to me just how my the main the the most serious symptoms I had with my addiction was severe depression and anxiety, um, which I of course was not aware of. Like I just thought I was I just thought every I thought everything outside of me needed to be fixed and that I would be fine, even though I was you know drinking every day. Like I hadn't connected that dot yet, and um, or I hadn't admitted that I needed to do anything about that. Like. I was kind of one of those folks who kind of understood I was an alcoholic, but I was still going to work. I was still functioning. So like, who cares? You know, this is what brings me joy. Um, but it wasn't. And that was the big lie that was happening. So um, two things happened. One was that Boundary Water trip where I didn't drink for five days and felt so much better and just completely that constant craving you feel as an addict for just to feel better or to feel happy. Like you just have this constant craving for that. It just went away because I was so <laughs> saturated with beauty and the power of being in the wilderness and that peace and quiet. And it brought me back to myself. So, but I didn't get sober right away. <laughs> um, I went back to drinking for a while, but then I had a second experience where I was walking my dog into this incredible sunset. I mean, like intellectually I could see that it was an amazing sunset and I couldn't feel any of it. I felt no joy. Um, it didn't, you know, you just heard me talking about how nature makes me my soul sing. Okay. Like that's my jam. And I felt nothing. And I knew then that something was like really wrong with me. Um, because my whole life that had been my reaction to that, right? So that was, and I think it was maybe a month later that I finally went to treatment. Um, and, uh, and then it was just basically like, because I was sober and stable and not spending all of my money and time um, drinking, then I got to start exploring, you know? And it really makes me wonder like what I would have accomplished if I hadn't developed an addiction and what I would have done in my 20s you know if I hadn't spent my 20s drinking I probably I think I in college I did spend a lot of time in the outdoors I had a boyfriend who was really into the outdoors and we went camping like every weekend but it was always camping and drinking or camping and, you know it was always camping and partying and uh, so it makes me wonder now but so it was, it was like finally I kind of like I got the addiction out of the way and I was able to follow that life-affirming connection I felt in nature out of the dark, like out of my dark period, so. So you think the, the drinking made you go numb, basically? Is that kind of what you're saying with the sunset and you didn't feel anything? Yeah, I've got this whole theory about drugs and alcohol, <laughs> which is they trick you. So every drug, it's whatever it appears to be promising you in the beginning it's opposite game because that's what it will ultimately take from you like for me drinking was i did i drink because it made me happy right and what did drinking ultimately do to me it made me miserable okay i went through four different psychologists the last one broke up with me like literally fired me because she was like i cannot help you until you stop drinking you know and god bless her for being honest with me <laughs> you know so, um, so that was like, that was, I liked, I turned to the bottle because it made me feel good, but ultimately it made me feel like there was, you know, the worst you can feel. So there's a reason why alcoholics commit suicide.
sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one thing that biking and nature did for me is that it shifted my the way that I think about things. So like I think what drugs and alcohol do is that they make you feel good in the short term and they make you feel bad in the long term. And that's what like a lot of society is selling us right now. It's like buy these things, you'll feel good. Forever. And yeah. <laughs> yes. The but they're short term. Yeah, it makes you feel good in the short term and then you're yeah. broke in the long term or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I started realizing that if I want to feel good long term, then it's okay to feel bad short term. Yeah. So like I can suffer for a little bit, but it's going to make me feel good in the long term. You know, and I probably just jumped right over that now because for me, like the suffering has gotten to the point where I kind of, I like enjoy it a little bit. I don't know how to describe that. It's not, okay, I do think pretty much every backpacker is a bit of a masochist, um, but there's this kind of like, I mean, it's, I think actually it's like, it's an endorphin high. So the minute I start working really hard physically, I'm, I'm already being rewarded for it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you get to a point where like, but in the beginning it's miserable. I think like my very first day of backpacking, I thought I was going to die. And I was like, what am I doing out here? You know? So I had the exact same thought on my first day of the PNT. What am I doing? Yeah, you will have that thought many times yeah. if you do go down this path. You're gonna, you'll find yourself kind of waking up to like, I might die <laughs> in five minutes. What did I? What am I doing? <laughs> but then it works out usually. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> no, and actually those moments are very, very rare. And uh, half the time they're happening, I'm, I'm like, I don't know if this is just me being dramatic or if this is actually dangerous. But, um, but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right uh, that outdoor uh, or backpacking or canoe, peanut, whatever teaches you that suffering now pays off huge in the long run. Yeah, I think my first day on the PNT, it was more like, I felt stupid for thinking that I could do this. <laughs> like, I'm two hours into this, and I'm, my whole body hurts, and I'm miserable, and I can't climb this mountain. <laughs> like, why did I think that I could do this? Yes. <laughs> I feel like you have to start there. <laughs> Because then everything that comes after it is a success and you're just like, I'm so good at this. I'm actually not that good at it still, but compared to where I started. Put up with the suffering and keep going and then you're good at it. <laughs> that's literally, yes, that's like, the, that's the metric. And that's what I meant, like, that's what we were talking about before. That it's like, it's not, that's, an, I, I actually don't, I've stopped caring so much about failing too because I do I fail a lot in the woods <laughs> like all there are days when I'm just like everything I do I've failed today like I'm failing at how far I'm hiking I failed because I fell off that rock I failed because I left my water filter actually that never happened but you know like you anyway my friend Marathon did that I think he hiked four miles before he realized he left his water filter and he went back for it you got to go back for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you got to I've like, had Giardia. Go back. Go back. Okay. Go back. Do not want it. <laughs> um, you touched on a good point about failing and being okay with failing. Like, um, do you find that you're like, are you less hard on yourself now, or are you more accepting of? not reaching your goals or something like that. I am still actively in the process of untraining myself from being ridiculously hard on myself. Um, it's something I've gotten much better at in the woods because 
the woods teaches you really fast that that is not a that's not even gonna that's not even it's not a productive way to be it doesn't change anything <laughs> being hard on yourself when you are suffering just makes the suffering worse it doesn't alleviate it so um so i've gotten better at it in the woods in my regular life i'm tr i'm trying to get that into it but i i mean man 30 years before i started doing this stuff that's a that's a lot of habit to unlearn so i still fall into it sometimes but um and I still, I mean, I think the, the trap that I get into is that I get this idea of where I want. This is, this is what, this is a dynamic and it's a dynamic in the woods and it's a dynamic in my life now where I have an expectation of how I think things should be going, um, how I think my life should be going, um, what I want from my life, what I want from my hike, how far I want to go that day. And when I don't achieve that, it's basically an opportunity to hate myself. <laughs> I don't really hate myself, but you know, it's like be hard on myself. Um, so, and I think what this and recovery too has, has started to teach me more of is just to like, I don't have to make, I don't have to hate myself in that moment. I can just be like, oops, yeah, <laughs> failure is a part of life. I failed today. Okay, I'll give it another shot tomorrow. So, and that's what definitely, my hike on the North Country Trail was basically that for five months. Um, I don't know if there was actually, the days when I actually met the goal I had set for that day was rare. <laughs> so, um, so I think overall that hike has actually given me permission to just be, that hike was a, was a question of myself. I was asking myself a question like, am I this kind of hiker who can do what Alex does, which is amazing feats of physical strength and endurance <laughs> and uh and there are a lot of people out hiking who can do that kind of stuff and um my last hike just I asked myself the question and I got my answer which is no because that's not what that's not what motivates me personally out there um and I'm totally cool with that like I'm thrilled by that now that I've answered that question for myself so my next if I get to have another big experience like that, like I'll have more information, I'll get to make good choices and hopefully set expectations that don't in, give me the opportunity to choose to hate myself instead of just being in the moment, you know, and just in, and just having a good time, so. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've actually been trying to tell my girlfriend um, because she sets really high standards for herself and it's part of the reason why I love her, like she's got really high standards about how things should go and she holds herself to a high standard and she works really hard and everything but then when things don't go that way she's like really really hard on herself mm -hmm. and I think the hike's going to help her learn to accept that oh is she coming with you yeah for the whole thing yep <gasps> oh my god I'm so excited for her is it her first experience what's her name Amy oh my god and you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a great time, Alexel, Alexel, yeah. <laughs> um, yep, yeah. I know that. I know that that behavior pattern very well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And hiking has absolutely long distance hiking has absolutely taught me to stop doing that, or encouraged me to stop doing it. I try. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't get rid of your desire to have high standards. Like you still want to try. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Sorry. And I don't know if I was communicating that well. It's kind of like, yeah, the only thing that it's taught me to do, I still, oh, absolutely, still have high standards and still want to accomplish great things and have many, many dreams that I'm actively working toward every day. Um, it's just that when I fail to like magically get there yesterday, I don't get mad at myself about it anymore. You know, I just keep making steady progress. Um, doing the next right thing, trying to do the next right thing on days when I don't have energy to do anything, like that's okay. You know, I don't beat myself up about it anymore. So, and it's kind of like what you said earlier, is like if you just kind of, if you just kind of show up, then that stuff starts to happen. Or um, like stuff that you did not see coming that turns out to be way better than what you thought you wanted, you know, which is absolutely what long distance hiking is for me. I did not see that coming. I mean, I had, I had those experiences around getting sober that helped reveal to me that I was not okay, but I didn't, I didn't, if you had asked me, you know, a year into being sober, if I would be off hiking 2000 miles through the woods, I'd be like, are you insane? <laughs> like I did not see that coming at all. So. Okay, one more question before we get to the NCT. Yeah. Um, what do you think, how do you think society views nature in general? What do people think it's good for? Like, what's the point of nature in the terms of, like, American society? Uh, I think the most common view is it's something to be consumed. But I definitely think there's a lot of folks out there, too, who view it as... Um, similarly to we do that it's a refuge and a place to go have fun and yeah and connect with everything that we've talked about today <laughs> that spirit of life so so i think it's a real like i don't know if it's balanced but both exist in our culture all right so what made it what made you first How'd you get the idea to hike part of the NCT? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like I kind of tripped and fell uh, over myself into backpacking in general and then the NCT as well. So like, you know, my cousins took me to the BWCA. I was desperate to get that feeling back. Gee, that doesn't make me sound like I'm addicted to nature or anything, does it? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, all of them um, are bad. <laughs> all of them are bad, yeah, that's right. Uh, so yeah, so I was, I was just like trying to improve my skills. So I was going up to um, the edge of the Boundary Waters to camp at a car campground to just like get close. I just wanted to get close to it, right? And on the way up there, um, I accidentally found the Superior Hiking Trail, which is a 300 mile stretch of the North Country Trail. So then I was like, oh, okay, well maybe I'll try, I'll try that. And so then my next trip, I went out actually backpacked for the first time, like tried to do it right. Um, that was the trip I thought I was going to die on. And then ended up four days later on the shore of Lake Superior with my dog falling asleep. <laughs> and me like, I am the baddest ass person in the world. <laughs> right? I felt so empowered after that trip. I was in love with everything in myself. So. Um, and so then I threw hiked that trail <laughs> shortly after that. I did the whole thing in one stretch. Um, and then I was just looking kind of for my next, like, I, I think for me, I was really under, again, I was underestimating my abilities. So I always was like choosing like less than I can actually do. Um, and so the North Country Trail was me finally admitting to myself that I was capable 
of doing something like a through hike on the Appalachian Trail, like 2,000 miles-ish. Uh, explain what the North Country Trail is, how long it is, and like what your goal was. Yep, so the North Country Trail runs from Vermont to North Dakota. It's America's longest national scenic trail. There are 11 national scenic trails in America. Um, the most famous are the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific uh, Crest Trail. Um, so, but the North Country Trail is the longest and it runs through uh, my favorite woods, the North Woods, which are really special and overlooked, I think, as a biome. They straddle this, what's called the Laurentian Divide area, which creates like a super diverse ecosystem and really unique. And, and then also um, the section I hiked, I specifically chose because it, run, it ran along the Great Lakes for a thousand miles, which are incredible. And uh, also have this, they're so big that they create their own weather systems, which then create, which impact the forest around them. And there's a very specific feel to a Lake Superior forest. Um, and that I love. So, uh, yeah, so I decided to try. So I wanted a long distance experience like the Appalachian Trail, but I, I don't know, I'm, maybe I'd like the AT. It just seems very crowded to me right now because I think hiking is getting really popular. Great. Through hiking is getting really popular. Um, but that's not why I go out there. I don't go out there to um, party or meet a bunch of people. I go out there to have like a one-on-one -on -one connection with nature. So, um, yeah. And so it was like the North Country Trail definitely offered that. And it was in my home territory that I love. How long is the trail? 4,600 miles. And what was your goal? Oh, thank you. Sorry. Uh, so my goal was to hike the equivalent. So I tried to, my original goal was to hike half of the trail which is, uh, well, I set 2,400 miles was my original goal. What happened? Just walk me through the, the whole hike, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, what happened was I started in March in Lower Peninsula, Michigan, with the uh, intention to walk back to North Dakota by late October, I think was my goal, and um, did great in Lower Peninsula, Michigan, got into the upper peninsula, which is, uh, as you, if you start planning a hike, you'll learn that people will warn you and warn you and warn you and warn you about the UP, <laughs> um, being pretty rugged and remote, uh, which it turned out absolutely to be on the Western side. Eastern side's very fun and pretty easy hiking still. So, um, but yeah, so I got into, some trouble in the western side. Um, I, you know, I was basically like on a green cloud, as I think of it, uh, until about mile 800. And that was right when I hit the trap hills. And uh, so one part of outdoor activities is that you do, I mean, you're extending your boundaries, like your safety boundaries, you are. And there are practical parts of managing your body and that level of extreme physical activity that I just did not know how to do before I started this. And unfortunately, sometimes I have to learn things the hard way because I don't recognize what is happening until I'm already kind of at a danger point. So that's what happened in the Trap Hills is I was probably um, 
borderline heat exhausted and I started to get sick. Like it felt, anyway. So I had to go off trail for a while because um, I didn't know what was happening, honestly. <laughs> I uh, went home for a few days to kind of recover and then I got back on trail, headed through Wisconsin, blew through Wisconsin, uh, hit Minnesota, hiked up the Spirit Hiking Trail, was doing pretty great and then hit the um, Boundary Waters. That was the other part about this trail. It's amazing. 100 miles through the Boundary Waters Wilderness, like unparalleled, okay, for Midwestern hiking, I think. Um, and uh, right as I hit the Boundary well, actually, I got about halfway down that, and then I got Giardia. So, and I have no idea how I got it. I really don't. I was doing all the right things, uh, watering or uh, filtering my water and everything like that. So, um, so now the thing was, though, that I was already way behind schedule is there was no way I was making it to North Dakota <laughs> at that point already because I, you know, it was kind of hilarious. I set off on this hike having never hiked more than 14 miles in a single day before and somehow I thought I was going to be doing 25 miles a day consistently forever. I don't know. Um, that did not happen. So, <laughs> and that's, a, but that's okay. It was totally fine. I had a I had an amazing time. I had a blast. And um, I'm really mad I got Giardia because I think I probably would have hit 2,000. I think I would have gotten there. But I ended up getting 1,500. So. Can you kind of walk into the process of uh, like coming to peace with not hiking 25 miles a day? Because just like watching your video when you're talking about it, you seem to have like ups and downs. Sometimes you'd be okay with it. Sometimes you'd be really hard on yourself and then you'd be like, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, that's true. I forced Alex to watch that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and it was like, I think actually, I probably knew actually at mile 800 that I wasn't going to make it, but I couldn't admit it to myself because there's kind of this, um, when you're out there physically pushing yourself past your bound, that past your limits on a daily basis, a couple interesting things happen. One is you kind of need that goal to be motivating you so that you continue to push yourself past your physical boundaries. Um, and then also as you are doing that, you discover that you totally can <laughs> push yourself and be fine, right? So I got into a place where like, I actually couldn't admit for a while that I wasn't going to be able to push past that physical boundary because I'd actually done it successfully so many times on that trip even, right? I had learned, set totally new limits. I had explored totally new physical limits for myself successfully, but I could not get over that hump. And I just like, I just couldn't quite give up on it for a while. So I think it wasn't until I was actually like I was, so I, that was mile 800. And I think it wasn't until actually mile I put Alex through 500 more miles of that discussion before I finally was just like, F it, I'm doing 15 miles a day, okay? That's what's happening. <laughs> and it's fine. <laughs> and then I barely, and I don't think I even did that some, most days, some days. <laughs> was it like kind of freeing or liberating to just accept that? that now I'm only doing 15 and I don't have to like feel bad about not trying to get 25 or something. <laughs> you saw, I mean, you put it perfectly. I went back and forth about it all the time. So it's hard, you know, you invest money, time, you take this huge risk, you know, and like, again, this is something that I thought a lot about. It's just like, we have this kind of accomplishment culture, you know, and I wanted the badge, man. I set the goal and I want 
I want to accomplish this. And um, so I think I really wrestled with that, but that's kind of where like, I still get caught up in that where, where it's like, that's not, I mean, I think people who set those goals for themselves and, and accomplish them, I think I really respect them and admire them. So I wanted to be one of those people. But when I, when it turned out that the goals I had set for myself were not realistic, based on lots of evidence <laughs> every day, right? Um, yeah, I wish I had come to accept that earlier because I feel like I was so focused on that that I kind of missed out on just in, just having a good time. So I don't know why I wrestled with that so much. Do you know? You, you watched it. You probably know better than me. I, I would wrestle. I think that would be really, really hard for me to give up on that goal. Okay. Yeah, it is hard to give up on it. I'm not sure why exactly, but but it's kind of like what you said. Like you, you've invested so much into this, and to not do it, you feel like a failure, and you feel like you have let yourself down or something. But um, you said it earlier that that's not really the reason why you're out there. And I think, did you discover that along the way that you were out there for other reasons other than accomplishing this goal? <laughs> this is like one of those dumb things where it's like I knew this but apparently I forgot it, right? Or like I had to relearn it. Um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I knew like, I knew that I enjoyed slow hiking before I went out there. I had already established that. So I think what this trip for me was is like, okay, do I enjoy this type of hiking? Like extreme, what I consider extreme um, and what that demands. I, I, want, I, was, I was curious if there was a lesson, like if there was a different type of connection with this planet, with <laughs> that spiritual connection, um, in doing that kind of trip, you know? And because I, I, it's an unknown. It was an unknown frontier. I was exploring myself, my body, what it could do, how that was gonna make me feel, how that was gonna make me feel in the environment, um, if there was something to, new to learn there, you know? And I think for some people there is. Uh, and that's why I asked my question that because there are some people who talk about it in a way that made me want to try it because they do find something out there doing that style of trip. But just what I learned was that I don't. So I, I maybe I'm lucky because I, I only have to hike 12 to 15 miles a day and I still get it. <laughs> it's less work. That way. It's less work. <laughs> Lots more lollygagging around in camp drinking coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've actually kind of realized that about myself recently, like since I moved to Montana. Up until then, I've been very like mission oriented. Like if I go on a hike, I want to get to this spot. And it's usually kind of far away and it's like hard to get to. And lately I've been doing more hikes where I don't have a mission. Yeah. And I just kind of go out there to like see what's out there. Yeah. And I enjoy those. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of let you, your curiosity and your body lead you around. Yeah. Well, there's no rush and I just, yeah, I just like go to whatever looks nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you still have to strike a balance, you know, unfortunately in those long trips because, um, you can only carry physically carry so much food, <laughs> but yeah, it's, that's definitely my purpose. Now I know for sure. So I've already, of course, I've already thought about this, you know, it's like if I get to do, cause my hope is I do get to finish the North country trail in my lifetime, whether that be, you know, in week trips, now if I'm back in the workaday world, which is great. I'm so grateful to have a job. Um, but if I, I do hope I get to do another long adventure someday and how I will approach that this time. And that's definitely being informed by 
um, this dynamic that you're touching on of setting these goal, super high goals, and then like beating myself up for it when I don't reach it. Um, so I probably won't do that next time. I don't think I'll even, I don't think I'll even say I'm hiking X amount of miles. I'm not even going to do it. I'm just going to be like, I'm starting on this day and then I'm hiking for as long as I want to, or as long as I can afford to. And then however far I get in that time is how far I get. Like, I'm not going to. That's freedom right there. Right. Sounds yeah. super good. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one's for Amy. Um, I think I remember from your series that you talked a little bit about food that you used to not be able to eat and then you could eat on the trail. Is that something that happened? <laughs> I don't know if you want me to talk about food because actually I think backpacking has kind of ruined me. <laughs> I used to be a pretty healthy eater and now I'm like, I just can't turn it off. Nutella, I cannot quit you. <laughs> um, but well, this is kind of going back to the body image stuff though, you know, that like, instead of thinking about my body and how it looks, now I just care about like, is my body healthy and um, am I taking pretty good care of it and what it can do for me, right? And food is very similar in that I look, backpacking totally changed my outlook on food and my understanding of how it interacts with my body. So <clears throat> I think an idea that really resonated with me was like the French hate the way Americans talk about food because we talk about food like it's medicine. And that's not what food is to the French. Food is an experience, right? It is a sensual experience meant to be enjoyed, you know? And instead, we're always trying to eat in a way that like magically programs us to feel better or go faster or be stronger or whatever, right? There's this kind of like, there's even a competition in how we eat. And um, so backpacking totally changed how I eat because it like gave me permission to actually eat fat right, which I had been like taught to avoid as a woman, especially especially a chubby woman. Like I'm not allowed to have fat. And um, you know, now I know that that's not a healthy way to backpack for sure anyway. <laughs> I try not to eat a ton of it when I'm sedentary, but not like on trail, but on trail, like if I don't have fat, like I'm basically dying. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you need that stuff. Like I just- Fat and salt. We do not, yeah, you can't, eat, you can't eat salt in sedentary life, but on trail, if you do not have salt, like you literally will die. And that, that is one of my other scariest experiences I've had on trail was not, I was overhydrating, and I did not have enough electrolytes and salt. And I, there's a condition you can get called hyponatremia. Like we're all very educated about dehydration, but hyponatremia is basically the opposite. Um, and it's just as dangerous, <laughs> so. Yeah, so I started eating a lot more salt after that. Yeah, salt tastes so good. <sighs> well, and it's it's crazy because you're like you think salt is a dehydrating thing, but it's not. It holds the water in your body. If you don't have enough salt in your body, your the water just passes right through you. So when you when you really get backpacking, you actually can tell that you don't have enough salt because you're peeing too much. <laughs> you're just like, whoa, what is happening? I, where, where are my peanuts? You know, like, you, yeah, it becomes natural. Let's talk about after the trail. Mm -hmm. What what was it like coming back after the trail, like coming back into normal society? Was that difficult? Bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of are like, you're going through some stuff, but you can't really talk about it because um, what you just went through is honestly just like a huge, like, 
privilege. So to then have this like really hard time coming off of it is, I don't know, I just didn't feel very comfortable talking about that with very many people. Um, and I also didn't understand what was happening very well. And the phrase that people use for it a lot of times is uh, trail depression, post-trail depression. And that didn't, it just didn't feel right. right? <laughs> having like, having had actual like experience, actual depression before, I'm like, this isn't depression. That's not what it is. But um, somebody talked about it, I think that uh, on Backpacker Radio, it's a, in this blog called The Trek. And she's also a long distance hiker and she's also a PhD candidate. I think she's neuroscience or something like that. Um, and her theory is it's grief. And that feels closer to me because, you know, I think there's that stage of grief where like you can't, you can't actually like, think about it too much because it's like, too painful. Like you miss it too much, you know? And that was what it felt like. It's like, it's like you're in love with somebody, so in love with them and it's, and it's not even that they break up with you. It's just for some reason you can't be together anymore. Like when your hike ends, it's not like the woods are like, get out, you know, <laughs> like there's no breakup, right? The woods still love you. They want you to come back, you know, but you can't because you have to be back in real life and like earn money and feed yourself. So, um, and like return to reality. Uh, so it's this real struggle. And then there's all these, the things that you and I are talking about today, I feel like in a, I still feel like really awkward when I really talk about them, even though like I know them deep down in my soul, right? I don't know why I'm so afraid of what people are going to think about me sharing things I've learned with a lot of hard work, okay? Um, and trying to incorporate those into your life, bring that stuff over. Um, it's actually like, that's something I'm actively working toward every day, still trying to figure that out. You know, it's like, and that's where I'm still talking about. Like, I still struggle with, like, I have this idea of this expectation of what I want to be happening in my life. What I want to be happening in my life is that balance that you and I are talking about between modern life and having more of a connection. Having that connection in my life on a daily basis. I have not figured it out yet. Man, I've been trying ever since I got back. So my whole idea was like, okay, I'll move closer to the woods because then I can go out with them more easily. But I think I got too rigid, man, in my thinking. So um, I don't know. And then the pandemic happened. <laughs> I really, that really messed things up. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I still feel like I'm kind of after, and I haven't figured it out. Yeah, it's a hard thing to like. Everybody's life is different. Your life circumstances are different. Like what you can do for a job are different. So it's very personal about having to figure out like how to incorporate that mm-hmm yep yep and because you're you're gonna want to you're gonna feel driven to and I don't know if I honestly I, I worry a little bit that I'm kind of a cautionary tale though because there's lots of stories about there out there of people who are like yeah I quit my job and then I got back and then I found a job and no big deal you know um, I think a lot of those people are very young um, so I was mid-career and like people were like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Why are you quitting your job that you had for seven years? And it's like, I don't know, because I could get hit by a bus tomorrow <laughs> and I want to do this, right? Um, so I did it, but like it was, it was a hard re-entry for me. It took me a long time to find another job that was paying me a similar wage. It was not where I wanted to be, um, you know, so 
it, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Like, you may go out and do this amazing thing. You will never regret it. As hard as it may be on the flip side, I have never regretted it a single second. But it has not been easy. That was going to be my question. Is, is it worth it? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I... I honestly think that this is, if you, I, I will say this, if you are someone who enjoys the woods, you, um, I really think that this is one of the most amazing gifts that you can give to yourself in your entire life, okay? It's on par with, with getting married, having children, going to college. Like, it's that level of life experience. It's insanely powerful. Um, yeah. Do you think that type of experience is for everybody no and that's okay no that's okay um i really and i i you'll know if it is because you'll just start feeling drawn to spend more and more time in the woods and then before you know it you'll be like i i can do this you know that's how you know so um my mom will never sleep in a tent ever and I love her, and that is okay. <laughs> I don't think that she's missing out or having a, um, a, you know, or like I don't, I don't feel like I, I'm not trying to convince her. Like, no, no, you got to go do this, right? Because she knows herself and she knows what fulfills her, right? But I think that for those of us who enjoy the woods, um getting stuck and thinking of it as just like a vacation spot is really robbing yourself of the full experience. It's only like, that's like 10% of what's out here. There's so much more. Yeah, I agree that you'll know, like when I was thinking about doing my first through hike, it just like, once the idea was there, it just consumed me. Mm -hmm. It was like all my energy went into making that happen. <laughs> and And that's why I think it's not for everyone, I don't want to. I don't want to suggest to anyone out there who doesn't feel like doing this that there's that somehow, that's not okay. That's absolutely okay because you have to have that level of focus and intensity to be successful in, in something like this. I think, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous if you don't. <laughs> you need to be totally committed. You need to be committed. Um, you need to be committed because it's it's really hard some days. It's really scary sometimes but those times are so few compared to the the rest of it which is like awesome so yeah um i think that's it for my question cool anything else you wanted to say no i think your questions were perfect and that's exactly what i would have wanted to talk about so 